Today, Jennifer Weber explores government policies as power in determining the status of children's health and adequately addressing their nutritional needs. She suggests changes to our policies to continue to improve children's health at all levels of government and analyzes existing program initiatives targeting these areas. Continue listening to learn more about how you can get involved in childhood health and nutritional advocacy efforts. Podcasting from Dallas, Texas, I am Shireen, and this is the Yemlish Podcast. Yemlish is working to empower you to take charge of your health through diet and exercise and reduce the risk of chronic conditions like type 2 diabetes and heart disease. We hope to share a unique perspective and a culturally relevant approach to managing these chronic conditions with you each week. Jennifer Weber is an advocate for children's health and well-being with experience building effective strategies and partnerships. She translates science into understandable and actionable messages for organizations, policymakers, and communities. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you on. So, Jennifer, tell us what inspired you to pursue a career in children's health? My background is in nutrition and dietetics. When I was first practicing, I was working with adults with chronic diseases, and it just really struck me how difficult it was to help those adults pursue a healthy life at, at adulthood um, when they didn't have those opportunities when they were children. Um, and it just really struck me that we needed to create healthier environments, support healthier environments for children. And that's what led me down this path. Interesting. So tell us, what is the current status of children's health and their nutritional needs in the United States? And in particular, what areas need improvement? Well, this is certainly very challenging right now. COVID has um, really negatively impacted children's health, um, ex- accentuated the challenges that we had before. Most obviously in food insecurity, we've seen in increases in food insecurity over the past 18 months, and almost one in five children are living in food insecure households right now. So that is certainly um, a great concern. In addition to that, if we look at nutrition specifically, children are not consuming enough fruits and vegetables. Adults are not also consuming enough fruits and vegetables, but certainly a concern for children. And then they're consuming too many sugary and sweet foods. So that that proportion of the food that children um, are are consuming are of concern. And of course, I need to note that we also want to make sure kids are being physically active. And, you know, only about one in four children are getting the amount of physical activity, which is 60 minutes of physical activity a day. So those are those are some of the overarching challenges that we're seeing right now. So how do policies factor in at the local, state, federal levels to really maintain children's health initiatives and also perpetuate sort of poor health? It is very true that policy at all three of those levels, um, federal, state, local, and then even some smaller ones, right, school level, impact children's health. And so if we look at um, what that looks like, many of the programs that Support children's health are structured and funded at the national level. 
So that might be where the funding comes from, where the overarching guidelines come from. But then that funnels to the state and state governments often. And so then they may put additional um, guidelines or parameters around that. Um, They look at, you know, how the program is going to actually be implemented. And then when you look at who actually is is implementing that program, who's the direct line to um, implementing these policies or programs to the kids, that happens at the local level. So we very often see federal, state, local level um, tiering of initiatives for children. Um, And you see that with federal food programs. So um, the SNAP program, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, um, the WIC program, which is Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infant, Children, School Meals, all of those programs, the, the structure is developed at the federal level, but then implementation flows down to the local level. Interesting. Can you walk us through an example of of, uh, something like this where there was a federal policy around children's health um, and how it trickled down? Yeah, I mean, one one example um, that is is a good one, and I'll talk about how it operates and then also how it was impacted during COVID, is school meals. So the National School Lunch Program, there's also school school breakfast program, that is a federal program. It is funded, um, you know, at the federal level. It is a program that all students have access to. And so the, the structure of the program, the overall nutrition guidelines of the program, eligibility, cost of the program, that's determined at the federal level. Um, Some of those designations are made in law. Congress, um, you know, determines them. Some of it is designated to the federal agency that has oversight, which is the U.S. Department of Agriculture. So there's those federal, um, the federal structure of the program. But then those funds go to the state. So each state, it might be, in most states, it's the Department of Education. They have the oversight for that program. And they may say, okay, here's the the standards that the federal government put in place. We have to follow those. But they might put additional guidelines in place. um, Or they might require additional training for the people that work in that program. um, And they are responsible for oversight of the school districts. Then at the local level, that local school district is one that's determining, you know, what actually foods are being served. You know, the the federal government is saying you have to serve, you know, broccoli. I mean, those decisions are made at the local level. Um, The the paperwork and enrollment, that's all happening at the local level. Advocating for the program, trying to get kids to participate. um, Those are things that all happen at the local level. And so I think oftentimes people hear policy and they think it is something that happens, you know, way over somewhere in Washington, D.C. But these issues of how the programs are directly implemented happen at the local level. And especially in this issue of school foods, um, we've seen lots of advocacy bubble up from the local level around um, wanting to have culturally appropriate foods, um, really advocating for local foods or more fresh foods. And so there's there's a a lot to play there. Um, And I think this program is particularly interested when we look at the impact of COVID and the schools shutting down. So we know that, you know, many kids receive one, if not two meals at school, and then that whole system, right, that that went away. The amazing thing was how quickly the school nutrition directors, school districts, state, federal government, 
um, really went into action to try and still provide food for those kids in a setting where, where school was not in place. And that, you know, is not easy from a logistic factor, but there were also laws and regulations that had to be waived. And so a bunch of waivers were put in place. Um, some were around nutrition standards to allow some flexibility so that schools could, just, you know, get food and, and serve it. Um, also around eligibility, a lot of places went to providing free meals for all. So instead of having a tiered system of, you know, full price, reduced price and, and, um, no cost meals for students, which is the standard they put in, um, you know, free, free meals for all, which really helps to promote and get students in. Um, but it also really helped the schools not have to deal with, you know, lots of paperwork and, and challenging situations. Um, and so, you know, I think all of these, you, you have to have these strong policies and regulations in place, but it also showed how, you know, in, in these really difficult trying times, there was flexible, flexibility put in place. And, and we've learned a lot from this. And, and a lot of places now are advocating for free meals to continue, um, especially as we, we really saw how important school meals were for the nutrition um, status of children over the past year to year and a half. What policy changes do you think should be made at each of these levels, the local, state, federal level, to really improve children's health and better meet their nutritional needs? Yeah, I mean, the, I think there's a, there's a couple overarching things. One is, you know, it's so important that kids are surrounded by these healthy environments. Um, we talk about or you hear people talk about we need to teach children to be healthy and I, I agree with that, but there's only so much we can expect children to do when they're surrounded in these environments that, that aren't healthy. And especially younger children, they don't have choices. <laughs> um, adults are making the choices for them. And so we, I really think, you know, it is, it is on us as the adults to have policies that support healthy environments for kids. And that, and that can look lots of different ways. That could be, you know, making sure that, um, that all the choices in the school are healthy food choices, that we're um, exposing children to a variety of foods at young ages and childcare centers, that we are being really careful about what foods are being marketed to children on the different um, devices and activities that they're in. The other piece um, I think is so important is thinking about equity and access in the policies that we're passing, um, you know, and that the voices and, and perspectives and beliefs of those that will be impacted by the policies are, are included. Um, I, I think there's been a lot more movement in this, but, you know, there still is this thought of, well, we know that children need, you know, should be eating healthy. So here's the three things we're going to say. We're going to teach them nutrition, you know, something, something. But that community, that might not be their biggest concern. So that voice of the community, I think, is so important. And I'll just say when I talk about the voice of the community, that includes kids and youth. We really, um, they're so creative <laughs> in their solutions. Um, I, in a lot of my work with children and youth, what has struck me is that um, when we have to work toward policy change, the people we're convincing are the adults, not the kids. They're on board. They have creative ideas. They're super open. They want to be healthy. Um, they want their families to be healthy. And so making sure that that youth voice is included is, is really important. So I think that, you know, those issues of, of equity, of um, thinking about it being the environment, not just the individual, are really important pieces across the board, no matter what the policy is that you're looking at. 
And so walk us through some examples of what this looks like in a community trying to combat chronic illness and risk factors for children. Yeah, you know, so a couple examples just from the community where where I live in, and one is looking at federal nutrition programs. So SNAP, that's a supplemental nutrition assistance program that um, provides um, electronic benefit for families to, to purchase foods. So that's a federal program. Um, but again, that enrollment happens at the local level. Um, and so, you know, we have an organization in our community working closely with the health department to do outreach about the program, make sure people know it exists, um, you know, um, goes to, um, you know, schools or different community events, faith organizations, and helps people sign up and enroll in the program. We can have these federal programs initiatives, but if you don't have people participating in them, they're sort of, you know, they're, we're losing the opportunity, that benefit. Um, another piece of that is many local communities have done um, what they call bonus bucks or double up bucks with SNAP, where um, a local could be a nonprofit business puts in extra funds. So if people use that benefit at a farmer's market to get fruits and vegetables, they get double the dollars. Um, so it's, it's an incentive, right? We, we are trying to give people more buying power around foods that we know are short in children's diets you know, and, and support that and then also support the local economy. So, you know, it, it gets the business community engaged. I think those things where you can, you know, look at what others in the community will see as benefit is really important. Um, you know, other things that happen, you know, at the local level, definitely we've seen a lot of work around promoting walking to school. Again, some of these are school focused because kids are going back to school this year, right? We're really excited um, to, to have them back in that space. Um, but you know, the, the concept of, we know that school attendance engagement in school is really important. We also know that it can be a challenge for some kids to get to school. And so there's been lots of work on safe route to school, walking school buses, where you really look at, can we have a safe environment for our kids to walk to school? And again, this is a, one of those, I think it's a great example of a, of a double impact um, because schools want kids to be in the seats. And so if you put together a walking school bus where someone's coming along and right, like picking up kids <laughs> walking or really focus on safe routes to schools, kids are getting physically active and they're getting into school. And so often in um, when we look at nutrition and health, um, it's, you know, looking at what's the double win, the triple win is really important. No one's against nutrition per se, but it's really hard often to get nutrition to be high in the priority list of all the other um, challenges and issues that policymakers are, are looking at. And of course, with, with all of my biases with what we do at Yemlish, I wish nutrition got more more time of day because it's it's so incredibly important. You know, you, you mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago about how parents are making those food decisions at home. They're making those food choices. Um, again, just going back to policy and even community-based initiatives, what is being done outside of the school setting, looking at more of the family holistically? Yeah, so in a lot of those cases, again, um, there's really good initiatives to work on educating children and, and their parents around, you know, what, what to healthy meals look like. Um, but that's assuming that they have the resources and the capacity and the skills, right, to be able to do that. So um, any issues, again, that are looking at food access really, again, 
participation in programs, federal programs is really important. Um, there's also work happening around what's called healthy food financing initiatives. So looking at communities, we look at, you know, what what is food availability in communities? And then what resources are there that we could work with to improve food access? So healthy food financing works with corner stores or bodegas, places in a community that maybe have shelf-stable items, um, but perhaps don't have the healthiest items available. And why is that and what do they need? And so many times those are, they don't have refrigeration or they don't have a supplier um, or they, they don't have perhaps a, a consistent customer base for those food items. And that provides additional foods to help them. Um, that, you know, is a really important um, piece. Um, so, you know, I think that that's a big one. Um, many of the federal feeding programs, you know, that work outside of schools really target mothers and children and getting healthy foods into their hands. Um, so and those pieces are, are all important. And then, you know, I think as we look at, again, the environment that our kids are in and the images that they see, and the advertising and marketing that they're exposed to um, for there's been quite a long time where we've been working around trying to limit, you know, marketing of unhealthy foods and beverages to kids. Some communities have taken that on and they've, they've looked at it different ways. Some communities have really worked on um, altering the um, kids meals at at quick serve fast food restaurants so that, you know, the, they take, so it is not the default um, beverage, it's milk or water. And those changes make a big difference. Um, people do tend to order the default thing on a menu. So if kids are going through and ordering a kid's meal um, and it's milk or water instead of a, a sugary soda, that makes a big difference. Um, other places have really worked on trying to get those incentives out of kids meals and not having the toys with them. And those are just all things to try and, change some of the norms maybe that we've put into place or things that, you know, if a parent's going for a quick meal and we just, you know, a couple things are subbed out in that meal, it makes it healthier. That makes it a whole lot easier for the parent. So, you know, easier, <laughs> less stressful, less, less um, debate with the child are all things that can make a big difference for parents. And then putting more purchasing power in, in their hands, you know, for, for parents who are struggling and have limited resources, any of the you know programs that can give them more purchasing power makes a difference. Makes sense. Let's talk about the work that needs to be done still. So what advocacy efforts are being done to address these needs in, in childhood health and nutrition? Um, and then how can folks get involved? Yeah, well, so with, you know, with policies and, and programs, those are always under review. Funding is under review every year. So there has to be a consistent drumbeat. Um, so there are, you know, advocacy groups at the at the national level that every year we are, you know, um, advocating for funds for um nutrition programs, um, the prevention programs that Centers for Disease Control operate that fund, you know, to the states for healthy campaigns, for healthy water, <laughs> um, things like that. You know, those are things that, that we are advocating for every year. Um, and then there are certain five-year cycles where some of these major programs get reviewed. So those are important. But, you know, I mean, these conversations are happening all the time at the at the local level as well. And, you know, for people that are interested in, in being involved locally, the first thing I would say is 
know that your voice is important. Um, sometimes people say, well, like, I'm not an expert in this. You know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Or what if they ask something and I don't know the answer? You, you, you have a voice and you are important. So, you know, that's the first thing to think about. And then what are you passionate about? You know, are you passionate about the food that's served at your faith organization that you go to? Is there a park down the street that you are concerned about? Um, you can just start there and, you know, talk to someone at that organization or look at your county parks and rec. If you want something a little more structured, every local um District has to have a school health policy council or school health advisory board that the public sits on. Many communities have a food policy council that, you know, they, they have members and they might need volunteers, but they also are there to get public input. Um, so, you know, what what is it you're passionate about? Is it little kids? You know, is it school age kids? Do you want to do youth advocacy and get youth voice out there? Um, we we need every voice in this space. And so, um, you know, it's it's not bad to start locally and, and see um, if that's not for you or what you're like is I want to write a letter or send an email, you know, on something at the at the federal level. You know, there are many groups that work in this space. Um, Food Research and Action Center is a really strong anti-hunger group. There's a, a group called Moms Rising that you know, takes voices of, of lots of moms, um, many groups that are tied to different racial, ethnic groups. Um, and and many of them have what we call action alerts, where you can go in and, you know, put in your zip code and it helps give you some talking points to, to wait at the federal level. So there's there's so many ways to get involved. Um, I'm, I'm happy to guide people. I mean, I, I work with organizations to help right, set up talking points and guidance and training for advocates um, to you know, to get comfortable with sharing their knowledge and expertise, because really that, you know, that's what we're doing um, is is connecting people to the policymakers so they can share your input and, and your voice always matters and you have experience that they, they need to hear from. And then I'll just say, you know, we can't assume that someone else is speaking for us. I, I mentioned this earlier Um you know, we, we don't generally have people who say they're against healthy children, right? I mean, everyone wants to have healthy children, but when we are talking about, you know, in, investing money in these initiatives or wanting some new policy campaign or advocacy movement, we are competing for space and attention. And so we need more voices and new voices in that conversation. That's so, so interesting. So even within our own individual sphere, there is a lot that we can do. It's just we have to understand exactly what to do either on the local or, um, or federal level. So um, with that, uh, Jennifer, we're toward the end of the episode. How can our listeners connect with you and learn more about your work? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I do have a website, which is webermorepartners.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter um, at jweberva is one. And then a company is at Webermore LLC. Um, so those are both ways to connect with me. And you know, if you go to the website, um, you can connect with me by email or message me. Um, I'm super happy to talk with advocates. You know, I should just say as a wrap up, I mean, I started out, I, you know, I'm a registered dietitian and I worked in a clinical setting. I would have never thought I would be, you know, doing policy and advocacy work. And I went from that, you know, to being a registered lobbyist and doing um, policy and advocacy a- across many levels. So it is something that we all can do. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to, you know, help individuals or organizations work down that path. 
Love it. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for your time. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you. It was my pleasure to be here. Lovely. And for listeners out there, head over to our social media on Facebook and let us know what's one policy change you want to see in your community related to children's health and nutrition. You can find us at Yemlish underscore on Facebook. Head over there and tell us what is that one policy change you want to see in your community related to children's health and nutrition. We will see you there after the episode. Jennifer, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Yumlish podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media at Yumlish underscore on Instagram and Twitter and at Yumlish on Facebook and LinkedIn for tips about managing your diabetes and other chronic conditions and to chat and connect with us about your journey and perspective. You can also visit our website, yumlish.com, for more recipes, advice, and to get involved with all of the exciting opportunities Yumlish has to offer. If you like this week's show, make sure to subscribe so you can hear more from us every time we post. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time. Remember, your health always comes first. Stay well.